Hello, Harborside Church. My name is Eric Bosamante, and I'm from Argentina. And I'm so excited and thankful to get to be with you all on September. Can't wait to see you. Hello, Harborside. This is Steph McLeod from Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm really excited and so grateful to be spending time with you in September. Hello, Harborside. I'm Devin. This is my wife, been on a walk for a while. We're excited to come and be with you guys in September. Hello, Harborside. I'm Mateus from Brazil, and I'm so excited and honored to be with you in September. Hello, Harborside. I'm Rafa. I'm Gabby. We are from Brazil. And we are so excited and grateful to be with you in September. We have great expectations. See you. See you. Shalom, Harborside. We are Ivan and Andrea Prosaglio from Israel. We are so excited and grateful to be with you in September. That's going to be fun. That is. We've never done this before. That's the seven most famous church words. We've never done it this way before. But we're bringing them all here. Do you remember the couple from Israel? They were on stage. We interviewed them. And they actually weren't even sure when they went home if they were going to have a home or not. There was bombing around where their house was. So they're safe, they're fine, and everybody's going to be coming here. So what a great, great week that will be. It will be. So today is uh, September 11th, and 21 years ago, for those of you a little bit older than 21, do you remember where you were on that Tuesday morning? Raise your hands if you can remember where you were. Oh, my goodness. What a day that was. So I had never been to New York City. And on that Sunday night before that infamous Tuesday, uh, I remember looking out the airplane window, seeing these ginormous towers. And I thought, man, those are massive buildings. And so my partner and I wanted to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church on Tuesday night. So again, we flew in Sunday night. And on Monday, we toured all over Manhattan. And then Monday night, we had tickets to the Yankees. So we go to a Yankees game. We then go to an Italian restaurant. And we're there until like 1.15, 1.30. We get back into our hotel room, which is right across from the Brooklyn Bridge, the state capitol building. And um, we wake up. I did not know that hotels had speakers in them. Kind of like high school when the principal came on, right? I, I didn't know they did that. And so all of a sudden, the loudspeaker, get up, get out, we're under a terrorist attack. And I look out, open the blinds, and there, one of the towers is just billowing with smoke. We get out, we go downstairs, we go outside, and we're just trying to help. Uh, we're watching tragedy after tragedy. I'm there with some, some kids of the Godiva chocolate family, probably a 19 and 21-year-old, and the, the, their, their chocolate business had just gotten destroyed. It was underneath the tower, and it got smashed. And I can just watch them still in my mind, the parents speaking a different language, crying, and the kids trying to console their parents. I saw emergency vehicles run over people. There was things that didn't get reported on the news that I saw five or six people get run over. There were two guys that came out of the buildings and lost their lives, and so because it was on fire, and, and so it was a it was a very emotional time for my partner and I. We 
then started just basically shooting saline solution into people's eyes. They turned our hotel into a Red Cross center, giving blood. And for hours, we're just trying to comfort people and be a priest and, and minister there. A year goes by, and I think I'm fine. I think I'm good. It's the closest I've ever come to war. I'm not minimizing that, but it's not what many of you have been in war. You've been in war. You've been in combat. I was there for a week. You did this for three or four years, but but that's the closest I've ever come to war. And I I remember then a year later, I'm watching the reruns of that day, one year later, all by myself. And I'm sitting in my lazy boy chair, and I love my lazy boy chair, although I came home one night and Danita threw away my lazy boy chair. <laughs> That's how Danita gets new furniture. She throws it away and says, oh, by the way, we need new furniture. She's not nearly as spiritual as she looks. I just want you to know that. But I'm sitting there in my chair, and I'm watching these reruns of a year one-year anniversary, and the tears are just dripping off my chin. I can see it at this very moment. And so I thought to myself as I sat there in my chair, and I got very emotional, and I thought, okay, what's going on in here? What is that? I thought I was fine. I thought I was good. I thought it didn't affect me. I thought I got to help and serve, and I felt great. And I realized then at that moment, I have a choice. What am I going to do when everything's not right in here? Am I going to stuff it? Am I going to ignore it? Will I do something destructive? Will I become a classic workaholic so I won't have to stop and think? What am I going to do with what's going on in here? And it's exactly what happens in your life Every time there's trauma and there's drama. Every time there's trauma and drama in your life, you recognize something's going on in here, and what am I going to do with the trauma? See, sometimes the trauma and drama, you didn't even have anything to do with it. It was an ugly divorce. It was a betrayal. You got fired. The business went bankrupt. It wasn't your fault. Sometimes what happens wasn't even your issue, wasn't even your fault. Then other times in life, you did do it. You caused this. The wheels came off the bus because you drove the bus off the cliff. And so what do we do then with the trauma and the drama that's going on inside of us, inside of our lives? Because we will all have that. We will all face that. And that's why I want to go back to Andrew and Kalen's message last week about Sabbath rest and start with a verse that talks about how the Bible will help you. It's why we want to always get you to read the Bible. But it's not just getting you to read the Bible. It's when the Bible then begins to read you. And I heard that statement about 10 years ago, and a guy was talking about this. And he said, you know what? He said, he said, anybody can read the Bible. It's not when you read the Bible but it's when you allow the Bible to read you. When the Bible reads you, you're not the hero of every story. You're not the heroine of every story. In fact, when the Bible reads you, you then begin to grow and change and transform. You begin to change. 
Because I got to do something with the trauma and drama. And the Bible's telling me where I need to ask for forgiveness or I need to forgive somebody else or I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to do something because the Bible is now reading me. I thought that was such an interesting description. So maybe it's not when you read the Bible. Maybe it's when the Bible begins to read you. And so you can't let the Bible read you and stay stuck. That's the point I want to make. You won't stay stuck. So the one-year anniversary, 20 years ago, as I sat there in that lazy boy chair that my wife threw away that I'm not bitter about. (laughs) I'm not even going to talk about my good lazy boy chair. I've forgiven her for that. I knew I had to do something. What's going on in here? I got to do something with this, just like you. And so it's why Hebrews chapter 4 says the Word of God is alive and active. you imagine that? It's not static. All other literature that you will pick up is static. But the Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What a word picture. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so the author is encouraging you to let the Bible now grow you and change you. Now, if you want to stay stuck in life, don't read the Bible. But if you want to grow and season and mature, and you want to have new heights and you want to fulfill your heavenly calling, you let the Word of God read you, and you just can't stay stuck. You can't stay where you are. You will have to transform. And so the Word of God then does these amazing things for you. And and that's why Jesus becomes like your high priest. And we're going to talk about that today in chapter 5. And you go, well, Kurt, that doesn't really help me. I don't really understand what a high priest is or does. I get that. But this is a reading series, and we're going to read through this anyway. Because what Jesus did for you is he positioned you, and he prays for you. It's two of the most amazing things that Jesus could ever do for you. He positions you. The blood of Christ positions you. Now, what we're going to talk about today is once you cross over, what Jesus' blood did for you is he gets you in the throne room of God. Nobody can approach the king of England today. Nobody in this room is going to go to the queen's funeral. Nobody can approach a monarch today. You now get to go into the throne room of God anytime, any day, any way, any place. That's your perk. That's your privilege. That's what Jesus did for you. That's incredible. At any given moment, you can approach the God of the universe. And so he positions you. Now, a couple of weeks, we'll get to chapter 7, and in chapter 7, it says he prays for you. That's incredible. And so why is this so important? Look at chapter 4, verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now, what's going on here is a bunch of folks crossed over And they accepted Jesus, but they're going, I don't know. 
I don't know, maybe we'll just go back. The Levitical priesthood, you know, we just, we just offered some blood of the goats and the bulls and the turtles and the, the pigeons. And maybe we'll just go back to that system because I'm familiar with the system. I'm not familiar with Christ or the ways of Christ. And so that's what's going on in, in Hebrews, the whole book, is a group of people had crossed over. That's what Hebrews means, the folks who crossed over. But they're now going, I, I don't know. Maybe we should go back. But verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet this guy never sinned. That was new. All the other priests sinned and fell short. But here's verse 16. This is our money verse today. This is our gold verse. We're going to come back to this about three times this morning. This is our money verse, verse 16. Let us then approach... God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because we have a high priest, because of what Jesus did for you, you can go to the throne room. And he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that's where we're going to land today. We're going to land with your needs. And we're going to land with the fact that you can go into the very throne room of God, and God will help you with your greatest needs. Now, who doesn't have needs today? Health needs, resource needs, guidance needs, family, connection needs, community. Everybody in the room has needs. In fact, we got a list of needs this long. And what's so encouraging about today is you can now approach this throne of grace in your time of need anytime you want to. Never in history had that ever been possible. Only because Jesus is praying for you and positions you is that even possible. So basically what I'm saying is you live in the greatest time of the church age. There's never been a greater time for you and I to live where now we can approach the throne of grace. But he builds a case. That's what chapter 5 is all about. He's building a case because, quite frankly, the people weren't sure it was really that good. And they weren't really sure that it was something that they got to do. And so chapter 5 is all about the great high priest. Now, don't get lost in chapter 5. Promise me you won't get lost. I'm going to read it. Stay with me. Do not zone out. Football doesn't start until 1 o'clock today. All right? <laughs> Just because the Colts are playing at one, this will be a really short sermon, all right? So stay with me because we got plenty of time. So Hebrews chapter 5, here's the case he's building about the great high priest. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood, not this priesthood. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That's, that's your normal priest gets it. The normal priest goes like, gosh, I know I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. The normal priest is there. Verse 3, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he's called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, now here's the transition. I was talking about the Levitical priests. I was talking about the man, men priests. Now I'm transitioning to a different priesthood. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. 
But God said to him, you are my son. And today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now we're coming to old Mel. Don't get lost with Mel today. Okay? Because Mel is very different than Mo. Moses is the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek is a whole different priesthood from another world. It's going to take me a couple of weeks to get to that. So don't worry about Mel. Say that out loud. I'm not worrying about Mel. I got enough to worry about Moa. All right, there, there we go. Verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He's building a case. He's saying that this is why Jesus has earned the right to this. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That would be on the what? On the cross. Where'd the cross go? The cross. All right. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once for all, once he became perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So what the author is saying is, you don't want to go back to the Levitical priesthood. You now have someone who gave you eternal salvation. Are you with me so far? So far, are you still hanging with this? Okay. Verse 10. Let me read 10, 11, and 12, then I'm going to apply this to you. And it was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's Melchizedek again. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And he's disappointed. He's disappointed because the people started off well. And they began to, they gave their lives to Christ. They got a heavenly calling. They crossed over. They, they began to live for a kingdom culture versus the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world, folks, is a dead end. The kingdom of this world lasts about 90 years or less. But the kingdom culture, the moment you gave your life to Christ, eternity began. The moment you gave Jesus your heart, that's when your eternal life began. And the kingdom culture is very different than the, the kingdom of this world. And so this, this author is so disappointed. I get that. I get that as a pastor. I try not to take it personal when people do well and then they backslide and they, they don't read and study and grow and, and they're making all kinds of mistakes. I love you. I will honor you. I will serve you. I will be your pastor. But it breaks my heart because you have a heavenly calling and you have access now to the position where the King of Kings has placed you in. It's like, it's like you got a palace, but you're going back to the mud. Just doesn't make sense, except when you realize that the kingdom of this earth has a lot of temptations, has a lot of distractions. The kingdom of this earth is very good at messaging. And the messaging that we just constantly get in front of us is that the kingdom of this world is really valuable and the kingdom of the eternal world is not as valuable. That's the messaging that we receive. And so this author is trying to inspire the people 
to continue with their heavenly calling. And now this chapter, it's about the fact, look at what you get. Look at what you have. Look at what he wants to do for you. It's pretty, pretty incredible. And so chapter 4, verse 14 again, just says, therefore we have this great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we pro- profess. It's like, this is incredible. You got a high priest who went into heaven, not into the holy of holy place. He goes into heaven for you. So let us hold firmly to the faith. And he's trying to get the people to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, this is, this is kind of like a dessert passage. This whole passage, chapter 4, verse 14, 15, it's, it's like the dessert. It's like after the family meal, the family picnic, you know, you get the key lime pie, you get the good stuff, you know. This is not like the Brussels sprouts or the asparagus or the broccoli. This is the good stuff. Danita will do that to me also. She'll put like Brussels sprouts on my plate in front of the grandkids, knowing I can't say anything. She'll put those on my plate and just smile. Oh, gosh, I can't, because I know Eric and Emily will jump me if I say a word about, anyway, this is a dessert passage. And verse 16 is gold, just absolute gold is verse 16. We're going to read it now, we're going to come back to it. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. So he builds this case, you've got this high priest, here's what you get to do. You get to approach God's throne of grace. With confidence. Now, not with arrogance, but with confidence. Because we all need that mercy. And mercy is just God withholding judgment. That's all mercy is. Mercy is you deserve judgment, but but mercy is he withholds it. In other words, you deserve something, but he's not going to punish you. Mercy is God withholding what you do deserve. And then grace is really the best word for grace is power. He gives you power. So you get to go into the throne room. Never before had anybody been able to do this except the high priest once a year. And now you get to go into this throne room every single day, any moment, any moment of any day, you get to go into the throne room of God. And you get to have mercy and you get to have power and you get to ask for help. In your time of need, whatever your needs are, 24-7, today, tonight, this morning, we were in the throne room in worship a while ago. We're going to go through them again in just a minute. But let's say tonight something happens. There's a car accident in your family. You get to go into the throne room of God and beg and plead for their health and for their healing. It's incredible what you have today and what you get. So I just want to show you a couple other quick passages about throne rooms. And I finally connected the dots with Daniel and the book of Hebrews. And the book of Daniel, Daniel hundreds of years ago, is now prophesying about today and what you have today. And Daniel is telling us that what you get today is the presence of God. And so Daniel chapter seven says this. Let me read this for you. Daniel seven. And Daniel says, as I looked, thrones, circle that word, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, this is God Almighty, the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
This should make you tremble, folks. His clothing was as white as wool, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. There's a throne room. Daniel prophesied about a throne room that you and I are going to be a part of. And its wheels were all ablaze. And a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Can you see this? It's a throne room of God. And there's thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 all in this room. A river of fire was flowing, 10,000, 10,000, and the court was seated and the books were opened. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 12. I want you to see the fulfillment of that prophecy in chapter 12 of Hebrews, which is you and me today. This is what you get. This is where you get to go. This is a spiritual realm that you get to be a part of. Hebrews chapter 12, and I, I, I'm going to preach on that maybe a couple of weeks if I have time in a couple of weeks. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Folks, this is a real place. And this is a spiritual realm where you and I get to go and get to be a part of. To the church of the firstborn. What does that mean? Whose names are all written in heaven. There's a church and churches that are registered in heaven. And there's people whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. That's you. That's me. This is our access. You have come to God. Again, nobody in the world today could ever approach a king or a queen. None of us right now could march into Washington, D.C. and just go see whoever we wanted to, whenever we wanted to. But you've come to the church of the firstborn. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4, 16 is your go-to verse. No matter what's going on in your life, this is gold, this is money, this is the verse you want to hang on to. No matter what's going on in your life, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why confidence? Because you're covered with the blood. You have the blood of Christ who covers you. So that we may receive mercy. I come in, and it's like the king like puts his scepter down. Come on in, Kurt. Come on in, Danita. Come on in, whoever, Olivia, Joanne. Come in, come in, come in. Do you realize that you have a heavenly father who is so excited to see you and so excited to be with you? He can't wait to spend time with you. He loves your requests. He loves when you ask. He loves when you groan and pray and plead. He loves when you ask for things that are bigger and greater than you could ever dream or ever accomplish. He loves your vision. I've said this a long time. We have a greater vision than we do our budget. Our vision is always bigger than our budget. Your vision should be greater and bigger than whatever you could dream or imagine. It's not always bad things or negative things. It's the great things that you want to accomplish. What is your heavenly calling? God says, come to me. Come into my throne room. Approach me. And let's look at that verse one more time. To help me in our time of need. Mercy and power. Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. 
So what do we need? What do we need? Well, I got some ideas on the back wall for us. What do we need? Well, maybe we go into God's throne room because we need some character. Yeah, God, I've been, I've been doing that. I've been doing that. And yep, that's not good. Yep, that's not your plan A. And nope, that's not within the margins of Scripture. I've been sinning. Maybe you come into the throne room of grace and you ask for help because you've been coloring outside the lines. Maybe you come into the throne room of grace because you just need some wins. You're just discouraged. I want some wins in life. I want, I want, to, I want some things to go right. I want some things to go well. I just, I just need some wins in life. Lord, give me, I, I need to be successful with this. I don't know if anybody doesn't need guidance. I mean, every day I'm asking God for wisdom and guidance. Am I the only one in the room that needs that? Okay, at least seven other sinners in the room need that as well. Lord, give us guidance. Guide us. And, and usually it's good things. It's usually not bad things. It's guide us into this or that. But what's, this, what's the best plan? What's the best route? What's the best road? Guidance. Maybe it's resources. Maybe you've got some great opportunities and you're trying to know how to invest. Do I invest here or do I invest there? Or maybe you just lost your job. Lord, I, I need some more resources. And so you're going into the throne room and you're praying about resources. Maybe it's not even for you you're asking for resources. It's, it's again, you've got a vision for something that's bigger than what you could dream or imagine. But you're going into the throne room and saying, I want to accomplish this for you. Maybe it's about health, some health issues. Jeannie said it. You get healed in the name of Jesus. Healing takes place in the name of Jesus. That's where healing takes place. I just need some peace. Maybe you're incredibly successful and you're full of anxiety. You've accomplished so much, but if you're honest, you don't have any real, you wake up with angst every single morning and you go to bed with angst every single night. Lord, I just, I'm coming into your throne room because I, I want some peace. I'm asking for some great peace. Or maybe it's for some friends. I want to be connected. I want a great group of people. I, I want to be connected to, to the right people, the right things. I, I, I want some of that. Oh God, will you help me to, to be connected? Now, theologically, these are the seven redemptive privileges that you have. Because you've crossed over, I want to show you now just those seven redemptive privileges. And I've done this three times. This is done the third time. But I want you to focus just on the right-hand side for just a minute. I want you to pick one. Because on that right-hand side, it's exactly the same needs that we just talked about, but it's just a little more theological. And theologically, God knows every need that you have. From the time you were born to the time you die. From the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. God knows every need you need for every season of life. In every season of life, you get to go into the throne room of God. The throne room. Lord, I just, I just want your presence. I don't feel it. I don't see it. I, don't, I need you. I, I, I want to go to work with your, I want to go to school having your presence. Again, I want peace. I, I want guidance. You're my shepherd. I want some victory. 
I need some righteousness, some character. You're my provider. You're my healer. Pick one of those. And let's go into the throne room. Pick one of those. And just stay where you are. We're going to close our eyes or listen to this next great musical piece by this team. It's an old, old hymn. You guys come on out. But pick one of these. And if you would, approach God's throne of grace. I'm coming, God. I'm coming into your throne of grace. I'm covered with your blood. I got mercy because you already forgave me for that. Some of you keep praying to be forgiven for that which you've been forgiven for for 50 years. He's forgiven you five years ago for that. You keep asking. You don't need to keep asking for that. He's already forgiven you. But now you need to go with purpose. And one of these might be your greatest need. So pick your greatest need and let's worship in the heavenly places for just a few minutes.
then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. If I could leave you with one last thought, it would be this. God is in love with you. In love. And he's waiting. He's not like Oh, it's her again. Oh, it's him again. He is waiting, waiting for you to go into his throne of grace. Now, step one is if you've never given your life to Christ, and those of you online, I I can't tell you what's more important than giving your life to Jesus. It's the crossover. It's your sins are forgiven. You get the blood of Jesus cleansing you from all unrighteousness. There's nothing more important than that. We got another beach baptism coming up in October. There's nothing more important than giving your life to Christ and being baptized into Christ. There's nothing. But he wants you to know that he's passionately in love with you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I wish at your age I would have embraced that. I got it now, but I wish when I was there, I would have understood just how much he loves me. Let's stand and I want to bless you. Oh God, you are Jehovah Shema, the God who gives us your presence. Give us your presence, Jehovah Shema. You are the God who gives us your peace, Jehovah Shalom. Rain down your peace. Oh, God, you are Jehovah Ra, the God who shepherds us and guides us, and we need your guidance. You are Jehovah Sidkenu, the God who makes us righteous, and we need the righteousness of Christ. You are Jehovah Nisi, the God who's victorious and give us victory in life, in love, in family, in business. Give us, give us victory, God, in school, in work, in neighborhoods, victory. God, you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who provides. Provide the wealth of the nations and the riches of the seas. God, we've got a heavenly calling. We've got so much work to do. Provide, individually and collectively. And you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And we heal and we pray for your healing over everybody online in the house today. We will approach you this week. We will put this verse to action. We will put feet to this great promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.